It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm amped up to talk to my guest today. Joining me is Drew McClellan, co-founder and CEO of McClellan Marketing Group, based in Des Moines, Iowa, and a widely read blogger for small business and entrepreneurs. You can find them all over the internet. You know, in this fast-paced, data-driven world, you know, it sometimes feels like we're leaving the customer behind. I mean, marketing and sales are all about metrics. You know, how many contacts you make, how many emails you're sending, how much of this activity did you do? And getting lost in the shuffle is the customer. You know, they're being buried beneath mountains of undifferentiated messages, which makes it certainly harder for them to decide which message to reply to and which sales rep to communicate with. And with my guest today, Drew McClellan, we're going to talk about what sales can do to stand out from the crowd and connect in a meaningful way with potential prospects. So, Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So, please, take a minute and introduce yourself. My name is Drew McClellan. I am based in Des Moines, Iowa. I uh, wear two different hats. I um, I own an agency and have done that uh, for 20 years. I've, I've worked in agencies my whole career. And I also run an organization called Agency Management Institute, where I teach other agency owners how to run their business, uh, the business of their agency better. So we talk a lot about sales, as you might imagine, both for agencies selling their own services and how they help their clients. Yeah, in this um, case, we're talking about digital marketing agencies for yep. the most part. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then uh, on, on the personal side, uh, I'm a prolific writer. As you say, I love to write about marketing and sales and all those sorts of things. Um, big baseball fan, trying to get to all of the ballparks. That's my bucket oh, yeah? list no, item. Okay. So how many have you yep. been to? Well, about two-thirds, and I've got a trip planned this summer that's going to get another three or four in. And where, so. which ones are you taking in? Uh, we are taking in... Um, I don't expect any of these teams to be awesome, but I don't really care. I just want to, <laughs> so we're uh, taking in the Indians, uh, yeah. the Reds, and the Pirates. Indians, Reds, and Pirates. Okay. Yeah, a little road trip. So Yeah, that's not a, a bad little drive from Iowa. Nope, nope. nope. We're trying to get the Tigers in as well, but uh, all four teams do not have home games in the same oh, week. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 So that was a challenge. Huh. Yeah, I've, I have to admit, I've, yeah, I, haven't been to in, no, I haven't been to any of those ballparks. Yeah, I haven't either. So, uh, and make sure you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when you're in Cleveland. Yes, going to check that out. Yeah, the, you know, Ohio is a, a city that's got a lot of interesting stuff in it, so I'm sure we'll find plenty of things to do. Okay, so um, you love baseball. You're a Dodger fan stuck in the middle of Iowa. That's interesting in and of itself. Probably not a huge Dodger fan club right there. No, probably not. But, you know, I uh, I just try and get to a game or two a year, and my, my work – uh, puts me on a lot of planes. Last year I was on, I think I counted 188 planes. Ooh. So uh, it's likely for me to find a baseball game just about anywhere I land. So that's that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. it's a good way yeah. to spend an evening, especially as yep. some of these AAA parks are big and almost yep. uh, big league field these days. Yeah, well, and in Iowa we have the AAA Cubs. So oh, true. Uh, yeah, nice little field here, and uh, it's fun to, you know, for me, any baseball is good baseball. So yeah. good, yeah, so Excellent. So let's let's talk about this communications challenge that that I brought up in the the open. Is you say and in your writing and you know the marketing is all about the no like and trust factor, right? And sales is certainly about no like and trust. I mean, is yeah. the no like and trust different between marketing and sales? You know, I, I think the reality is that um, 
there's been this huge shift over the course of the last decade where before we were in charge, we the company, whoever that was, mm-hmm. was in charge of both the marketing message and the sales messaging and also the timing of both of those because we controlled all of the channels. And with the shift to all things digital, um, think about all of the ways we consume data today at at our own deciding point of when and where and how and what through what tool and what channel, everything has shifted. And so I, I believe more than ever before, the marketing message and the sales message are the same because the truth is that until you knock on my door, I don't have your permission to talk to you about sales. So I have to be marketing focused. And when I think of marketing, what I'm really talking about is I have to be creating information that is helpful to you, that helps you do live your life or do your job better mm-hmm. so that when you are ready to buy what it is I have to sell, I have moved you along the know, like, and trust funnel enough that you know who I am and what I do and that I know what I'm talking about because I've been helpful to you over and over and that you like me because I have been genuine and helpful and authentic and transparent and all those buzzwords that we use all the time over and over. And over time, when I can behave that way consistently and I'm not constantly trying to stick my hand in your pocket to get you to buy something, you learn to trust me enough that when you are ready – and this is the big shift – uh, you know, it used to be that we could go at people whether they were ready or not for sales. And today, if you come at me with the sales message before I'm ready, I simply am going to shut the door and you have no opportunity to communicate with me. So now you have to wait for me to raise my hand and say, you know what? I am ready to talk about that. And so I think more than ever before, marketing and sales messaging is more interwoven than it has been in the past. But it's, to me, it seems like they're still siloed a little bit, right? Is that. It's like with marketing, you can do the know, like, and trust to be able to open the door for a salesperson, but the salesperson still has to then, on their own, establish know, like, and trust in order to get the order. Well, and part of that is the consistency between the handoff, right? So in an organization where there are true two distinct either people or departments where marketing is in one on one floor and sales is on the other, the typically those organ oddly enough those two departments have not always worked well together. They don't sort of see the world in the same yeah, way. But No news to, to anybody, right, right? Right. But more and more, if they don't dovetail their efforts and if they don't sound and look the same, then that puts the salesperson in a very uncomfortable position of having to start over. With, with an impatient buyer who's already been seasoned and ready for the sale. Who's invested so, some of their time, right? A- absolutely, right. And, so, and I also think, you know, we, we do a lot of research where we talk to CMOs and other people who are buying agency and other B2B services. And what they tell us is long before they are talking to a salesperson, they're pretty far down the buying cycle. So they our, our research estimates that the average B2B buyer is about 70% or more through the buying decision cycle prior to speaking to anyone in the company, mm-hmm. right? So all the more reason, if I'm already 70% of the way down a path and you, the salesperson, come starting talking to me at the 10% ready stage, we have a disconnect and all of a sudden my trust is a little shaky because it feels like you don't really know who I am and where I've been on the journey. And so, um, yeah, I, I think they have to be, I think they have to be dovetailed. I don't think they're the same, but I think they have to be dovetailed. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think, and to your point, which are two great points in there is, you know, the 70, 70% figure is 
at least in the sales space, is, is hugely debated. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that irrespective of whether it's 70, 60, 50, the fact remains that, you know, yeah, you may, you may put a cold call into somebody from the sales side that they haven't heard of your company, but the first thing they're going to do if they're interested is go invest a bunch of time researching you. So, yeah, I think the figure is valid almost in any, any circumstance. There's some percentage of customers doing on their own to work their way through their, their buying process. So then, you know, question that you raised is, you know, does the salesperson have to restart the whole no like trust cycle again independently? And as you pointed out, is, you know, the funnel is really different these days. If yeah. the customer indeed has gone through 50% or 70% of their buying process before they engage with a sales rep, then yeah, if you walk in the door as a sales rep and you start talking about your elevator pitch, you know, here's our company pitch, here's where we got started, here's what we do, blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah, you start to dissipate some of that trust and some of the like factor that might have been there before because you're wasting the customer's time at that point. Right. And and really, I believe that is our scarcest commodity today is time. And so I'll pay a premium to get exactly what I want when I want it and how I want it. But if you waste my time, I have a very short attention span. And I think that's the message consumers are sending to us is, you know what, I I will let you know when I'm ready, but don't don't be a pain until then. Well, don't not don't be a pain, but when we do engage give me something of value that's going to help me move one step closer to making a decision. You know, every time this is why a stake I put in the ground for sales reps is, is every time you interact with a prospect, what's the value you're providing them that's helping right. them move at least one step closer to making a decision. And if you don't know the answer to that question before you engage with them, wait, don't do it. You're not ready. Well, and I, and I would argue that it's not just about helping them move forward and making a buying decision. It's what are you doing to be helpful in general? What, how, how are you making them better at whatever they're trying to accomplish? And that will move them along the buying cycle. But I think a lot of sales messages, it's interesting, even in the marketing side of things, a lot too many marketing messages are still about me, the content creator rather than you, the content consumer. But even even more so on the sales side, it really does need to be about you being sort of a servant leader or a servant salesperson in that you are trying to help me. And sometimes that means helping me decide that what you sell is not actually what I need. Absolutely. Right? Yep. I mean, there's nothing, no greater waste of time for a sales rep is to feel the pressure to have a certain number of prospects in their pipeline right. and bring along prospects who are never going to buy from them. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's like the old story about trying to teach a pig to sing, right? You just waste the pig's time, annoy the pig and waste his time. Right. Uh, well, it's going to be what you're doing with that prospect. You're just going to waste their time and annoy them because they're not, they're not going to buy from you. Yeah. I, I think, I think the whole idea of having patience and being willing to give value longer without extending the hand towards the wallet. I think that's a really difficult and disciplined behavior for both marketing and salespeople. Um, but I think that's the, that's the litmus test for consumers today is um, I expect you, salesperson, to be helpful first, and then I will decide if I want to do business with you. Yeah, I've, I've talked about this on the show. I've got a quote at the beginning of my latest book, Amp Up Your Sales, that 
quote from Jeff Bezos, founder CEO of Amazon, right. interview in Harvard Business Review, talking about sales. And I put in there because I think it sums up sales better than anything else I had seen. And his quote is, quote, we don't make money when we sell things. We make money when we help customers make purchase decisions. Yeah, right. And that really speaks to sales is really fundamentally a, a service. And that has to be part of that messaging. That's how you get people to know, like, and trust you. Right. But I think, you know, unfortunately, in a lot of sales organizations, the compensation structure is not built to reward someone for behaving that way. It's built for volume, whether the volume is good volume or bad volume. So I think that's part of the challenge is that, you know, oftentimes the way we reward people is not in alignment with the behavior that actually will allow them to be most successful. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And that's so that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this subject today, because Increasingly, the sales model is one that there's um, specialized, let's say, specialized roles in a sales team where there's going to be your, what the people call sales development reps that are your inside sales team that's banging phones, sending tons of emails, basically trying to do a numbers, numbers, numbers game to make contact with particular buyers that they can then turn over to the, quote unquote, the closers of the account executives. And yeah, I think there's this danger of, uh, and I'm interested to hear this from a marketing perspective is, you know, all this undifferentiated as that sales messaging, just noise, just noise that there's a danger perhaps of sort of a scorched earth effect with yep. prospects that you just, you tire them out so much that, yep. that perhaps you really ruin, ultimately ruin your chances of ever getting their business. Yeah. You know, I when when we talk about sort of lifetime value of a customer and what's your sales on on what's your conversion rate and all of that, I think one of the reasons why businesses think that the funnel has to be so big and so full is because it's not only not about differentiating themselves, but they haven't really differentiated who their best customers are. And so rather than talking to the 10% of people who would be their most awesome repeat business, refer the bejesus out of them customers, they try and talk to the entire world. And what that does is it forces them to do two things. One, you know, pepper the world with their messages. But two, it forces them to have generic messages because they're talking to such a broad audience. And the reality is for any business, and I don't care how big or small you are, there is a small sub-segment of the human race that really is going to be your best customer. And when you can figure out who that is and you can create content and sales messaging and marketing aimed at just those people, even though you know the rest of the world is going to find it boring as heck and tune you out, that's when you can actually, A, really be valuable and helpful, and B, that your messages do stand out because they are to a very specific audience about a very specific issue or challenge or opportunity that just they have Mm -hmm. that that you can help them solve. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, good. We're going to take a short break. and we're going to come back, we're going to talk about – five good rules for sales communication or five rules for good sales communication, excuse me, that you had put together. I thought was a great, uh, a great article that we want to talk about. Be right back with my guest, Drew McClellan. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, 
which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Okay, I'm back with my guest, Drew McClellan. And we've been talking about effective sales communication. And Drew, you had written an article about uh, five rules for good sales communication. And there's a little bit of a backstory to it. And why don't we talk about the backstory and then we'll get into the five rules. Sure, great. So, you know, like all your listeners, I get a ton of email pitches and and direct mail pitches and sales pitches that are that are cold calls and and I I ignore most of them like most of us I'm proficient with the delete button but I got an email from a young woman who actually got me to stop in my tracks and um, I responded to her which I hardly ever do well think about that I mean as an entrepreneur you're inundated with messages something stood out yeah right right that's why that's why I thought that was a great story yeah, so you know, I'm I'm probably the most jaded audience you possibly could have, right? Um, but anyway, what she did was she did some really smart things that I ended up dissecting in a blog post. But what she did first was um, she didn't send me the same letter that she had sent a million other people. So immediately I knew she had done some homework and she knew who I was and what I did for a living, and she was familiar with my company. So she did things like. She referenced um, some my company. We have weird job titles, so no one has like a CFO job title. And she referenced some of our job titles, kind of in her preamble. So I knew that she knew who we were. She talked about uh, my company. She actually quoted something off of our website. So she did a lot of things that said, "This is not a, a standard letter that I'm sending out to five thousand of my closest friends," and that caught my attention. And even though. It could have been and probably was the same letter she sent out to 5,000 of her closest friends. She had spent a minute, two minutes, went to your website, got a sense. You know, she spent some time preparing. I mean, the personalization, I mean, I looked at the letter and thought, yeah, I mean, framework is pretty much a standard letter, but she was really smart. She did what she was supposed to do and invested, you know, she was mindful and deliberate about spending just a little bit of time researching you. Yeah. Another thing she did was, um, you know, my company, like all companies, we have a certain tone of voice that we use when we uh, write about ourselves or our work. And her email mimicked that tone. So our website has has a little, it's a little cheeky. It's got a little bit of attitude. It's um, pretty laid back. And she really matched that. And I think in a sales environment, knowing who your audience is and making sure that the language you use is sort of native to the language that they use. So that's sort of a apples to apples kind of a thing is a really smart sales technique that she did a great job with. Yeah, it shows again. So the first two here is, you know, one is she showed that she had done her research and two, she was using your language. Yep. And again, these are just for people listening you may feel pressure to send out 50 emails a day or whatever it is, but if you're doing any sort of automated emailing, even from within sales or marketing, you can personalize it. And it doesn't take a big investment of time to do as, as shown by this example. Yep, absolutely. You know, the other thing that she did, uh, which I think is a lesson that all salespeople hear, but it's difficult to actually behave this way, is she talked a lot more about us as prospects than about 
her and what she was trying to sell me and the company she worked for. So if you dissect the entire email she sent out, I think only a couple sentences were about them and what they did and the company. And the rest was really about us and what she perceived was an opportunity for us and sort of her perception of who we were and why we might find what she had to say valuable. So again, you know, there's that age old sentence uh, or comment that the people we find most fascinating at cocktail parties are the ones who ask us the most questions about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we think, oh, they're the most brilliant conversationalists I've ever met. And she sort of employed that rule uh, in this email. And and her email as well, and we'll put a link to it uh, on the web show notes for the website so people can see it, is, is um, it's about you, right? It's yeah. not about her. Yeah. And that's that's just sort of the basic turn. It, you know, talk more yeah. about the other person than about than about yourself. And yeah. make the whatever story you're telling about them, not about you. Well, and in fact, even when she did talk about herself or her company, she talked about herself and the company in relation to me and my company. So even the few sentences where she was talking about her company's offering, she talked about them in relation to how they could help us do our work better. So mm -hmm. even in that, even when she was talking about herself, it was in a context that mattered to me. Right. Yeah. One of the great ways to do that is, as you said, uh, at the about the party talk, is ask questions. There's nothing yeah. wrong with asking a question in an email, Yeah. an open email, a sales email. That's more likely to encourage a response, especially yeah. if it's a good question. Yeah. And then the last rule, if you will, that she followed that I think, again, uh, sometimes we struggle with is she kept it really um, concise. It was short. So she did not fall f uh, prey to that desire of, I have his attention. I better tell him everything he needs to know in one fell swoop because I might not get another shot, which means I'm being barraged with more information than I'm ready to receive. And now I'm just going to disconnect because it's too much. So she did a really nice job of keeping it short and opening up the door to have that next conversation, which, you know, as salespeople are always taught, you know, your job is to get the next opportunity to talk or whatever the next step in the, in the process is. And she did a really good job of, of being respectful of my time and not inundating me with too much. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's sort of two things at play here. One is keeping it short is respecting people's time. But secondly is, is that's one of the ways that you generate some sort of curiosity about what you do. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you're going to tell your whole story, then people can make that decision pretty easily. Yeah. yeah I, don't need, I don't right. need to talk to you. But right. if you think you have value, then don't tell it all in one fell swoop because, hey, they're not going to have time to read it. As you said, you have to respect their time is give them a hook. Well, I also think, you know, it's sort of like the conversations that we have with our children over time. You you probably talk about the same topics, but based on the maturity of the child, the depth of the conversation changes. And just in the sales cycle, the same way as I, at this point, I'm an infant in terms of understanding what her company does and what they can do for me. So you need to talk to me in sort of those basic building blocks sort of messaging. But mm -hmm. after we've had two or three more questions, more conversations, well, now I'm sort of at the teenager level where we can have a more in-depth conversation about the specifics and the deliverables and whatever else needs to be in that conversation. But you don't you don't have a grown-up conversation with a baby, and, and sales is sort of the same thing. Yeah, especially in that opening opening communication. That's what we're talking yeah. about, the sales yeah. letter, this initial sales letter. Yeah. You know, the companies that are 
are now you know automating that process and literally you know sales rep can send 50 to 100 or more of these a day and they're not they should be personalizing in most cases they're not personalizing but here's some really simple steps that we went through five they'll just recap one is you know invest some time to show that you know the prospect that you've gone to their website you've looked at linkedin profile you've looked at their website and or excuse me i said before their maybe their social media uh, footprint a little bit and see what they're interested in something that you can the hook that you can include in the letter yep use the language use the customer's language in the email not your own uh, talk more about them than about you use questions when you do talk about yourself always put it in the context of solving the customer's problem and lastly as you said keep it short and I, one of the real popular episodes we've had on the podcast so far in the first hundred episodes uh, which is at the time we were recording this was about the 21 word prospecting email uh, from a gentleman in, in the UK named Ian Brody has been very successful with it. And yeah, it's, it's just a short, short email that captures people's attention. And after all, that's just what you want. Yeah. Yeah. You just try to get them to put you on the radar screen, right? Yeah. And so I think that, that, I mean, for me, I mean, I took away from Sarah's letter and is she may be invested five minutes to research you um but that was enough you know for anybody that's accustomed to that's you know digitally savvy and knows two or three places to look i said website linkedin profile and you probably have a tool to you know some sort of social media dashboard to to look at somebody's uh, digital footprints it's all it takes and just a few keywords in the right places with the right expression yeah keep it about uh, about the customer not yourself i mean so one of my rules is you know if you're looking at a sales letter you want to know whether it's worth sending or good to go is never lead a paragraph or a sentence with the word i yeah yeah so do your well, research take <clears throat> i out of the email and then for me another you know sort of closing tip on that is include at least one but better to have two two questions in the email that take too long to answer via email you know where the customer <laughs> they're good questions the customers will be intrigued by the fact you're asking them but they're not going to take the time to sit down and write a long email they'll want to talk to you about it yeah yeah that's a great idea you know I, I, and i think when you add all of these up what the sum total of it is is you come off like a real human being and i think a lot of the automation software and we certainly do a lot of marketing automation for our clients as well but you still have to figure out a way to make that very, very human because in today's digital world, ironically, even though we are communicating less face-to-face, our expectations about the humanity at the other end of the whatever the communication channel is, is high, especially if we're in the buying seat. So. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what this does is, is it, when your listeners read her email, you get a sense of whether it's accurate or not, you get a sense of that there's actually a person at the end, other end of this computer sort of putting her personality and spirit into this email, which is much more engaging than the generic, you know, corporate speak language that most sales letters sound like. Absolutely. And absolutely. And, and yeah, I'll reiterate again for sales reps and managers listening that, you know, you think you have these activity metrics, you're never too busy to personalize because yeah. Yeah, if, if the if you may send fifty emails and get one open, if you can send forty and get three open, I'd take that bargain every day of the week. Absolutely. Well, again, it's 
we have to stop thinking of sales as a volume business because the consumer won't tolerate being treated like a number anymore. We don't have to be treated that way, so why would we tolerate it? Yeah, I think there's going to be a cycle coming, and we're sort of seeing one, one part of the cycle now where there's there's this over-reliance on volume, and I think that that is going to shift back eventually, but uh, I'm not sure what that will look like, but I'm pretty sure it will shift back. So, All right, so I want to shift to the last segment of the show. Speaking of shift, um, I have some standard questions I ask all my guests, and the first one is a hypothetical scenario I pose to people is, is assume for a second that uh, you're a newly hired sales manager at a company whose sales have stalled out. They're just, they're stuck. <laughs> they don't know where to go. And they're really counting on you to help them get unstuck. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Uh, I, I would do two things that are sort of kissing cousins of each other. One, I would hang out with our rabid fans and I would find out what they love about us and why they chose us in the first place. And oftentimes I think why someone hires you or buys something from you turns out to be different than what they actually value from you. So they think they know what they're buying, but it ends up that they get other value from it than what they originally thought. Mm-hmm. So so I'd have that conversation with them about, you know, why what, what was the buying trigger for you? How important is that to you today? What else do we do that just sort of rocks your world? And I would have the conversation of what do you wish that we would either stop doing or start doing that you've never vocalized before? So that would be one thing I would do. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I would do is I would go hang out with all of the people that were close to buying from us and then decided not to. So they were close enough that they were a good fit for whatever we sold, but for some reason they decided not to buy. And I would, you know, under the cloak of anonymity or darkness or bribes or liquor, whatever it took, I would find out from them what turned them off at the last minute because something happened in the process that things were going swimmingly and then something happened and um, you know that and we did and we didn't we didn't we weren't able to do the deal so there's something on our end that and maybe it's on their end and we just need to be sensitive to it or know it or understand mm-hmm. it but something happened and and the reason why I choose those two activities is because those two audiences have already proven that they could have been or they are our sweet spot customers And I believe that when a company concentrates on that, again, as I said earlier, that subset of human beings who will be your best, most delighted customer, and you figure out how to get more of them, you can kind of ignore the rest of the world. Yeah, to a certain degree. Absolutely. Well, I think one of the key things you also mentioned in that is, you know, two different questions. One is why you bought from us, but what's the value you're getting today? Because if your salespeople don't understand the value that customers are deriving from your product or service, it makes it really hard to sell. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think it's often not necessarily tied to the thing or the service we sell. Of course not. Yeah. You you know, I I had a client say to me once, um, here's why I will never leave your agency. I believe that you think about my business as much as I do. Well, that's not, we don't talk about that on a website and we don't package that up and sell it for a fee. It's a it's a feeling we created in her, and we can replicate we can, you know, recreate that for other mm-hmm. clients now that we know that that's valuable. But had she not said that to me, I wouldn't have known that. So right. I just think that's an important conversation to have. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Well, that's a good response. Good response. So now we've got some rapid fire questions for you. All right. You can give me one word answers, or you can elaborate. 
So the first one is when you're selling, you yourself, what's your most powerful sales asset? Questions. Questions that they've never been asked before. Excellent. So in managing your agency, what's one tool you use for sales management that you can't live without? The weekly meeting. Their accountability. Mm -hmm. There's nothing better than old school accountability of having to look across the table and say that you did what you said you were going to do. Who's your sales role model? Walt Disney. Interesting. Why? Because Walt understood that if he created a world where we would want to go over and over again, we would gladly pay gobs of money to go there. And, and his whole thing was to create this magical, delightful experience. It was all about the experience. There are a lot of theme parks out there. There aren't a lot of theme parks I'd pay $100 a day to go to. No, no. Right? What's the one book that you know that every salesperson should read? Becoming a Category of One by Joe Calloway. Oh, interesting. Okay, hadn't heard that one before. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. It's one of the it's one of the few books I wish I had written myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll make sure we get that on the show notes page. Next question. This is really a tough one. What music is on your playlist? Oh boy, everything from big band to black eyed peas to country to you name it i i um i like all kinds of music and i like to give my brain fresh things to listen to and think about my podcast uh, list is equally eclectic good good well hopefully this one's on it so it is indeed i love it excellent well thank you so last question for you is is what's the first sales activity that you do every day the first sales activity i do every day is i take a minute and I am grateful for what I have. I, I remind myself how fortunate I am and that I love the work that I do. And I love doing work. I love serving people who love the work that we do. And that keeps me very focused on finding more of that kind of customer. Excellent. Great answer. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. My guest today, Drew McClellan. Drew, how can people find out more about you and your company? Probably the best way. I'm very easy to find in social media. I'm pretty much Drew McClellan at everything on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find the blog at drewsmarketingminute.com and you can email me at drew at mcclellanmarketing.com and that's M-C-L-E-L-L-A-N and the word marketing all spelled out. Excellent. Well, good. Well, thank you again for joining me. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine. Listen to it first thing in the morning, on your commute, in the gym, or maybe at your morning sales huddle. But make sure that you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Drew McClellan, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.